Welcome to another edition of Eusebius on Times Live. South African politics is absolutely fascinating. We've got so many shifts that happen in terms of the dominance of one party suddenly seeming to come to an end to the governing African National Congress having been hammered in last year's local government elections. But besides the movements when we compare political parties with one another, there are also shifts in terms of who comes and who goes inside the leadership structures of political parties. One of the latest such examples is Bongani Baloy, who is the former mayor of Midval, a charismatic mayor who has done extremely well on the record in terms of his leadership and had been seen, correctly so in my opinion, as someone who is doing extremely well inside the Democratic Alliance as one of their excellent performers, full stop. And then if you want to be ageist and qualify it, one of their particularly good younger leaders who is continuing to be on an upward trajectory inside the Democratic Alliance. And then lo and behold, he's decided to terminate firstly his membership a while back, according to the Sunday Times this past Sunday, and then more recently exited the party and joined Action SA. So I wanted him to come on this platform and just to talk me through what it is that precipitated these changes in his career as a politician. You're listening to Eusebius on Times Live. That's this latest podcast on Times Live. And it's me, Eusebius McKaiser, exploring the major issues of the week. That means you're going to hear a lot of law, politics and ethics how they intersect and how important these stories are in the life of all South Africans. When people zone, their children must know these are sellouts. They put saliva on the paper. Mr. Julius Malema whispered and said, sing it, sing it. And then they share that zone. No, I'm not going to apologize. Can I have my iPad, please? So they stole it. Ongari, good morning to you and thanks so much for coming on Eusebius on Times Live. Well, thank you so much, Eusebius, for having me. Uh, I've been looking forward to being on this platform and having an engagement with you. In last year's local government elections, did you vote for the Democratic Alliance? <laughs> no, I did not. <laughs> Why not? Um, no, uh, uh, well, I did vote, uh, but I did not vote for the Democratic Alliance. Talk me through what that decision was based on, because it is interesting how all of us as voters, myself included, had a dilemma about who to vote for. I don't think any thinking voter could have made an easy choice. How did you puzzle through yours? Look, it was an interesting uh, situation to be in, um, in considering who to vote for and what, what not uh, to do. Because you have to consider a number of options and also issues of balancing um, majorities. There has to be some sensible opposition as well to ensure that uh, people don't do what they want without any voice holding them to account as well. And I was particularly taken by thinking uh, a number of community structures in the Val uh, that were just ordinary citizens who were asking some real and genuine questions. And I felt it's important to also balance democracy and balance majorities with sensible opposition and also for people who, who, who I see as outcasts of a political system who are really making an entry and trying to disrupt the status quo. 
So I was more supportive towards that because also balances out to the um, full majorities in council. What is it about the Democratic Alliance that made them no longer an attractive option for you? Look, I, I, I explained it this way um, when the interview happened with the article that materialized over the weekend that I think there was a fundamental shift in the Democratic Alliance that happened um, when Musi left. Even before Musi left, there was a big contest about what the party is and its manifestations through policy as well. So I was quite alive to these conversations happening in the party, building up to that particular point. And for me, it was it became extremely clear at the point where there was a fundamental change of policy, which we adopted in 2013. And insofar as accepting that redress has to be race-based is very fundamental. So between there, between 2013 and uh, the most recent uh, policy conference, then there was a fundamental shift in policy, even though there was, uh, uh, I think, a spectacle in public around the suggestion that we've moved away from our fundamental policy and belief in redress and party values, which there wasn't, because the fundamental policy around that question we adopted in 2013 and has only changed in the most recent policy conference. So for me, that demonstrated a fundamental shift away from it. And naturally, policy positions in any party I approved as they are uh, espoused by leaders, influenced by leaders, and owned by leaders who, who use that dovetailed to a particular vision of the type of society you want to create. And that's what we believe in. So, so I mean, that, that's the era of 2011 to 2017, 16, around that time, which I believe the party was in a fundamentally different space. It was on an upward mobility and trajectory. We were also attracting lots of talent, also quite exciting people joining the party, uh, mostly young people as well that were exciting. So for me, at the point, there was a fundamental change of policy that, that indicated that it's no longer the same. And it was for me then important to have an internal introspection about, so what now? What compounded my problem is the oath of office, because Yes, the, the DA policy has changed, but how much of that policy really affects me at delivering water and electricity to the residents of Stuelo? So I opted to focus on the primary responsibility and I understood that people in Midvale had supported me and I must really deliver and see through my term. So that was the thinking behind it and what happened. Can we be more precise about the policy shifts? When you say there was a policy shift that became difficult to reconcile your personal convictions to, which particular policies are we talking about? For me, it's the, it's the policy that deals with redress. It's difficult for me to be able to um, locate myself and sustain myself in a, a situation which says, we're going to approach the redress policy, but not use race as a proxy for disadvantage. It's very difficult for me because we need to be intentional about it and not approach it from a fork-tongue perspective and say one thing and do another thing and muddy debate by calling others this type of liberal, that type of liberal, because some of us are insisting on having a full appreciation of where we come from as a country and not turning blind on it, but actually realizing that we need to remedy this and color is still a determinant of poverty as well. So it was that specific policy for me. So that is something that I was really drawn to. And, and, and I think Part of the thing, if I recall that debate that happened, was something Lindiwa said, which was for me very important, and I still remember till the day, till this day, in the debate around that policy. And I think she was the second last speaker 
before the item was was approved. Sorry, just for clarity, are we talking about Lindiwe Mazibuko? Yes, Lindiwe Mazibuko in 2013. I think that's when we had the policy conference in Cape Town. She was the second last speaker who, who spoke before the leader spoke on the policy. And she made a fundamental point that if we claim to be constitutionalist, as we claim to be, then why would we then de- why would we then deny the issue of resolving the injustice of the past as it's as is expressed in the constitution? So there is no inconsistent with race race based policy uh, and implementing that. There is nothing that they, because the the argument the key argument against us was that it's not consistent with who we are in the constitution of the country. And for me, I think she made a very fundamental point about how it's expressed in the constitution and how that enjoys us to be able to effect it through the various types of laws to redress that. I want to tease out your personal experience and then your ideological position on the question of race. As a black person, what is your experience specifically as a black person within society and within the democratic alliance? You you experience it to a, a significant state. More so for me, it starts at home. Um, I was very close to my grandparents and they shared stories about what happened and how my grandfather for the first time saw his father um, being uh, being dehumanized by a boy his age. And that Mr. so-called Mr. Smith, later in life, I found myself sitting around the table with him who happened to be the uh, speaker of city of Cape Town. So, so now I find myself in, in an organization where I realize, so I start questioning myself whether I really believe in this institution and whether he is really reformed. So, so I'm choosing to share that story because it's very important because it, it, it also seeks to respond to the question you asked about my experience of the experience of a black person and so far as racism and how from my family that was experienced and how later I found myself from someone whom my family understood or saw that person to be someone who was an instrument of that type of um, racism and its laws. So that's a real example. It's not just a surname that he no, shared. That's, that's a real example. That's a real example. So, so, so it began an internal journey when questioning many things. And, man, and part of the things I started to question and realize is black pain is cheap. So it's easy for us to speak and, and seek to be objective about the experience of black people. But we also understand there's nations which will not dare go into that space and try and use issues that they face, which really tore apart their communities and, and they understand the implications. So we would never go into dealing with other similar type of things. But for black people, our, our, our pain is very cheap. So, so it's easy for, for us to have a conversation about colonialism. So, so now I'm positioning the whole conversation about colonialism and how someone like me interpreted it, understood it. Then you sit back and say, if you want to have a conversation, honest conversation about this, I've never seen anybody with the same type of zeal go into that space and say to Jewish people, let's speak about the Holocaust and very broadly and see what you get. And they will never do so because they understand what it means to them and the power they have. And for still a marginalized people who are still a majority, even economically, where people can still do things to you and you don't have a way of defending yourself. So, so, so I really found myself really confused in the middle of this conversation, you say this, because I asked myself, why is a people who have 
been so marginalized, so mistreated, the only one really who are so committed to non-racialism. The only one who are saying, <clears throat> let's all speak. I mean, yeah. me and you are black, and we are not speaking Zulu or Isisutu, we're speaking English. So there's so much that we could give up, give up of ourselves to be able to enter some reasonable conversation in spaces to be able to make some level of impact. So for me, these are things that along this journey, I begin internalizing <clears throat> and asking those questions. Mm. And I think from the withdrawal from 2013 heightened, I mean, from 20, 2019, 2018, heightened that internal introspection. You've started answering the second part of my question, but let's complete it more fully. There is the personal experience of a particular trait in the world. And then there's a question of, what is the best ways to deal with injustice where part of the injustice is oppression against that particular trait like skin color? Skin color matters for all the reasons you and I can articulate. And there are also other issues that intersect with it. Like for example, sex, class positionality, and other categories that also can be the basis of oppression. As middle-class black people, we've got some protection, even if it doesn't give us complete protection against white supremacy, our lives are fundamentally different from poor black people living under conditions of abject poverty. When it comes to policy, economic policy, political economy debate, what conceptually should be the place of race in those debates, in your opinion? Race should play, should play a meaningful uh, contribution in those debates because when you debate, you don't debate from the sky somewhere. So a, a, a reality must inform the debate. So with taking into consideration reality, so then you ask the question, so using a, a policy as a tool for what? What are you trying to achieve? For whom are you trying to achieve that for? And how are you trying to achieve that? So you consider all of those things. And if you define the situation, the problem statement very, very well, so it's not just how do we grow our economy, but how do you grow our economy in a manner that includes those who are marginalized, gives up opportunities, and define it in various other ways. But ultimately, it must be in relation to where you come from as well to try and remedy those injustices as well and give people a sensible way out of poverty and try and define what is a sensible life that we all want to achieve utilizing various means, whether it's policy or various other things that we have as tools. So I think uh, it should play a meaningful role. In our case, it, it should be obvious because you're not saying uh, we, 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 South Africa started in 1994. And from 1994, where do we start? So let's start on the basis of, of, of all ANC failures. Oh, you see, you should you had an op opportunity. Now you can't, uh, let, let's cast aside any thinking of race-based uh, policy or whatnot that influences that. So I really think we must start where it should start in the racial aspect. You can't divorce it out of an economic uh, question and answers. Your direct experience of race as a black person in the country, those of your family, your articulation of how race should feature, even in a complex intersectional manner, in policy debate, does John Steenhuisen understand that? I, I really don't think I really don't think there's that understanding. And why would I say so? I think 
there's a lack of empathy in the conversations, which comes out in various other ways and tonality as well. And some of these things you really, you, you see the difficulty with closing space of debate and pushing people out and having terminologies like you are this type of liberal, you are this type of uh, person. It closes a debate for a Bongani, a Makashule Ghana, who with their experience also want to contribute and make a meaningful contribution. So we all persuade each other with our diversity to be able to articulate a position that captures and understands the experience of South Africans. So, so I really think that, that that's very important to work together and as different and diverse people that in, in, it does that. So I don't think currently there's, a, there's an internal environment of, of such a nature uh, where if you don't believe differently, uh, or don't or are not seen supportive of the particular leadership, then you are seen just as an opponent and put aside as an outcast. So I, I generally don't think there's that uh, appreciation. Uh, uh, that's uh, because I mean it also comes out in various things people say. So so you can see it's at a superficial level, and you question whether it's as a result of conviction or strategy. And uh, if it's strategy at times, it also doesn't last long. Then the cracks start coming up. Then your articulation and and trying to respond to contemporary problems in South Africa, you'll find yourself twisted in the issue of race all the time and being uncomfortable about it. We're going to spend the second half of the conversation looking forward and leave your past alone, but let's close it with two, three more minutes of a couple of quick questions. The DA will say something like, Bongani's experience, and this is the best case scenario, in the worst case scenario, some of them are going to start trolling you because they can't handle disagreement. In the best case scenario, they will they might say something like this. Bongani's experience is what it is. He was great in Midval. We wish him all the best. We will note, however, that not all black people has got his convictions. Mbali is in the party for a long time. Soli is there. We've the same Makashula that you're talking about remains in the party. And you've got people like Gwen, who've got very different political philosophy convictions to yours. And it's not just people of your age and slightly older who are there. There are young people who are woke with complex younger experiences like Sandile, um, who's also in the party. And so we remain, they might conclude, diverse. And it's important to recognize that black people are not heterogeneous. There are black people who come from the same scarred family past as Bongani, who still thinks that we are the best vehicle to deal with it. What did you say to that? Look, I, I would have expected that that um, response uh, from a party of stature and of uh, I mean, being a second opposition in the country. That's exactly what I would have expected. I thought if it was the case, I would have found it to be sensible and to an extent accepting of reality. And, I, and they would have given me some sense of hope that at least it will start an internal introspection and conversation internally to try and, and find some of these things and find each other and have an honest conversation. Uh, so, so it's something I would have really welcomed. It would have given me hope that our democracy and parties are starting to mature. But I don't think that's, that's what happened, as you've seen in the media, with uh, people trolling and saying, I'm going to regret this, regret that as well. But, but again... The, the, the thing, the, the realization for me was that people don't see me. So, so they still see and engage me the same way they would engage a Bongani who was starting as a counselor in, in 2011 
or the Mbongani who worked for the party mm. in 2010, 29, 28. So they, they, they really don't see me. So, so and that, that robbed them of the chance to really engage me in a much more sensible, uh, genuine manner to, to be able to understand where I am. And I really do. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think this is a pivotal moment in our conversation. Tell me whether I am excavating a psychological claim, a political claim in what you've just said, or whether this is a stretch. Are you suggesting that in some ways, even when they were proud of you, before you had left, that they were infantilizing you, treating you as a little youngster, as a little boy who's part of the party and who can be the way many of us were in parallel structures, like former whites-only schools, be proudly showed off in the brochure, but secretly that you were not as fully engaged as your peers who may be white. That, that's spot on. So so you, you're sitting on the side of an organization where you really... Uh, wanting to contribute and being meaningful about it. And it keeps hitting you deep inside that actually I can see my role has limitations. So it's fine to speak Bongani clean audit, but for leaders to actually be sensibly and engage you. I mean, on numerous times, I was the one who requested meeting with the uh, party leadership to have a conversation about my uh, performance of the municipality and what they think and just hold me to account. Let's have some sensible conversation. So, so I really never got any intellectual stimulation from the leadership of the party. Uh, uh, and and I, I really think they, they, they missed a big opportunity. Um, but nonetheless, uh, for, for me, I was able to recognize these things because I'm a very observant person and I believe the success of the municipality really assisted me to really reach a self-affirmation uh, and also appreciation of my own talent and my uh, capability as well and how I'm able to really uh, uh, deal with this um, uh, and embarrass this thinking that Black people can't lead everything that Black people touch goes into uh, waste uh, and whether and if you are young even worse all you'll be doing is chasing women and drinking and embarrassing yourself so i think debunking those things really empowered me from a psychological emotional and in and, and intellect point of view to a point where i really felt i was not engaged at that level and this is an organization where it has nurtured has given me opportunities grown but i really think that i was not even engaged at my capacity and more than 5% really. You have a governance unit, you've got one of the most uh, uh, successful mayors you claim to have, but there's no sensible engagement. It's just, just up here, just take pictures really. That type of condescending uh, treatment. I hear you. I totally hear you. I think that's very deep. I want to return to that in future. By the way, second last question on, on the DA, well, not even a second last question, just a, a, <laughs> a parenthetical observation. The Sunday Times article, obviously I trust my colleagues, it was really interesting how many, including black supporters of the DA, tried to suggest that my colleagues must have misquoted you, especially because a written article doesn't have voice to it like this one, where your voice can't be disputed. Um, because some of what you had shared with my colleagues were very different to talking about tone, both tone and content, the day the press conference was held when your new political home was revealed and you were quite convivial in your description of your departure from the DA. 
Is that because journalists didn't ask the right questions or were you trying to wait a little while before being a little bit more blunt and honest? No, look, I think I, I joined Mashaba, as I said, as a sense of being enthused and excited with the, the, the proposition of Action SA. And leaving DA was not because of, um, it was essentially just in summary that this is no longer the vehicle that can take us forward. And in my observation of the limitations that would face the DA, I made the point in that interview that any generally black people in the DA carry an albatross. And what is this albatross? These statements that are made by leaders that affect and trigger and and, and, and deepen the wounds that are inflicted on black people. When people, when you go and engage with black people, well, for me, in my experience, my point of departure was to clarify statements made by leaders of the party. So, so you start at minus zero, I mean, minus 10, whether you like it or you don't, this is my experience. So you start there. this is the albatross that DA, uh, black DA members face that I think some of the uh, white colleagues will have to really appreciate that what they say is not just freedom of speech, but for somebody else who has been in, uh, who's lived through that type of area, it's not just as simple as uh, freedom of speech for them. So I say that purposely because I really gave them an opportunity to use this to introspect internally. Mm -hmm. Try and say, but let's really genuinely engage with these things. Let's ask ourselves, instead of being defensive, now let's ask us. Now I can speak and with the hope that they can do something about it. So so I really felt that I needed to make that point that they will have that limitation. And 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 for black people, this is what the albatross is. And no, that point is well taken. That's very well taken. I just wanted it on the record. So on the record, I never doubted it because I know my colleagues, but for the record, the report about your views and your experiences in the Sunday Times is accurate. No, it's accurate. I've, I've got no, uh, I've got no issues about uh, what I've said. And if someone wants to take me on, let them do so. These are my experiences, and the fact that you're going to be fighting about my honest truth. I mean, good luck. Um, those, that's you don't, you don't need to speak for other people, but from a real politic point of view, I think it is important for me to ask the following question as well. You have had very good relationships with many of the other black leaders in the party. They are staying behind. Why are they staying behind and why have you left? I don't know why they stayed behind. I think many of us maybe have our own trigger points and moments uh, when it seems applicable or best for us to do whatever you want. Maybe Makashule Ghana still feels uh, he can try again uh, because I know, I mean, for him to support Pyrus the way he does, He's, he's a genuine guy who doesn't give up. And I got to a stage of saying, this is not going to work. Let me also pursue. What added in my dynamic, you say, is to leave, was also the offers I was getting externally. So, so at the point uh, I departed from the DA, the, it was really in, in the private offers in the private sector I was considering and a few sure. others that will keep me politically sure. relevant insofar as advocacy and putting pressure on the executive. What I did not anticipate okay. was what that okay. announcement did. When you lose an argument, doesn't mean you must exit a particular party. I think you've given me enough in this interview existentially why the party is no longer comfortable for you. But for the sake of completeness, some might say you are cowardly intellectually in the sense that even for Helen Ziller, I listened to an interview between her last year and Peter Bruce, my colleague at Arena Holdings, on his podcast, where he asked, he was asking her one question related to vaccines. 
And she said, I'm going to give you my view, but it's not the party's view. The party has a different view. So even someone as influential as her recognizes that some arguments she will lose in the party, but you don't exit just because you lose some, some particular you know, positions. Why would it be uncomfortable for you to say to an interviewer or to the public at large, here's what I think about race. Here's what I think about redress. It's not the party's view, but um, here's my view. And on some issues, you, you lose the debate. On others, you don't, but you don't exit the marriage. Look, I think for me, my view is also public record. So I've been, I have been consistent in articulating my views that were either uh, not uh, consistent with what the leaders at that stage spoke about, or and also within the policy formulation, I was quite clear what I believed in. So it's not because of that I've done this sufficiently, but uh, I, I don't think the DA as a vehicle for me is sufficient. And and I was uh, and I think to to make it very simplistic. Um, I firmly believe that if a political vehicle gets to a stage, it becomes a liability and ceases to be a a vehicle to be able to contest national government and deliver change, then then you then there's no reason for you to be there. And I think I left in the most responsible manner. Uh, did not leave before elections, which would have caused significant damage. I was also mindful of the municipality that I led at that point. I wanted my legacy to end properly, to hand over, ensure stability, and everything on the when I handed over showed upward the trend, or uh, I mean uh, trajectory in terms of electoral outcome. I mean we moved from fifty nine percent to sixty two percent. I don't know where else the DA grew in terms of majority. Uh, took a few votes from the ANC in Medval, and I left it in solid, stable hands, and the rest is for them to do. So I was very careful and cautious of that because if if I if I let them out of anger, take away what I would have done for the Midval people, I think they would have won. Do you believe in internal democracy and political structures? Yes. Why did you agree to an anti-democratic decision by Herman Mashaba that you should join the party and immediately join it inside the top leadership structure unelected? And because number and the majority of the people who are there are not elected. It's still an interim leadership. So everybody there is interim. So that uh, at least as a party that's starting initially, it affords you that base as well. And I think if it was a, a, a different uh, place in terms of many years as has its own inaugural um, Congress have been elected, it's a different environment. But also if it's done in terms of the constitution as well, uh, where they exercise a particular clause to either co-opt and give a special uh, responsibility, it makes sense. And it would not be amiss for somebody who is delivered and uh, can add value as well. Do you feel uncomfortable that you are parachuted in? And are you looking forward to proper bottom-up contestation? I, I'm, I'm very comfortable. Look, uh, I understand politics. We are going to uh, add value and there will be debates. There's going to be disagreement. There's going to be contests as well. It's a space that's not foreign to me. And uh, one has to prove their worth. And, and so I'm quite excited to be able to prove my worth and earn the respect of my colleagues beyond just the name recognition, but actually substantive uh, contribution and delivery to the party. As I listen to you articulating your convictions on the question of race in particular, unprompted by me, I had a thought running throughout my head that I kept until now. It's one thing to leave a party that you think doesn't take seriously and empathize with your racialized identity and experience in this country. It's a separate question, what is the alternative vehicle? In my reading, and you can disagree, but you'd have to tell me how and why, 
Although personally, as a South African, as an analyst, in terms of my convictions, I think I share a lot with what you had said, and I think you probably know that. I don't think Herman Mashaba is in the same WhatsApp group as you and me. I think Herman Mashaba is deeply committed on the record, on this platform as well, deeply committed to capitalism. Racialized capitalism is a big part of why black people, including your parents, were oppressed, including by your former DA colleague, on your memory of what they told you. And Herman Mashaba is loved by big business, precisely including white capital, because he's got a very ahistorical understanding and conviction, notwithstanding the fact that he's phenotypically black like you and I, much older than you and I. In fact, he infantilized you unintentionally the other day by saying you could have been his son, is that in, in his excitement in welcoming you. But he's not left-wing, he's not a racial realist, and it doesn't need to be for you to join him. But what I am saying explicitly is that actually from a political point of view, including on the question of race, your party leader currently is closer to Helen Ziller and John Stienhaisen than to you. Interesting perspective. I, I, I disagree. Uh, I, sus I suspect you would agree with me if I stopped recording. <laughs> no. I, I think when I looked at um, the policies, because we had a long conversation and I looked at what the work they had done in terms of the articulations from their policy, it resonated with me in that regard. And, um, um, and I know the safeguard of institutions is, is strong internal democracy and systems and processes in the institution because ultimately we articulate what the institution represents and has been approved. So, so I also saw um, some, some void in terms of policy and, and it's, it's what has excited me because there's a, there's, it's a new organization and lots of work can still happen to be able to shape it and respond to some questions, which I think in my past life, I could not, you were not even thinking about that question uh, and how to get there. I mean, we all know there's an aphobic issue, but I believe there's actually a deeper question for Action SA to respond, which is the African question. How do you relate and respond to Africa in the time and space we find ourselves in, which also speaks to the foreign policy at some stage. And that's so all for me, that void and those challenges that still need to be defined was, was the part for me where it said to me, there's actually a greater space to be able to shape this organization. It's a year organization and, and building a strong organization is quite important where you safeguard against a leader uh, who is about who's not about the institution and becoming bigger than the institution so a strong institution can safeguard because i think he's in in his words to me is that he started a political party for south africans that he's going to leave at some stage for the south africans to continue and leading it yeah but this is the, the only time in our conversation where where you are waffling because you're trying to avoid my tough question the Action SA reality is the same as Patriotic Alliance. It is fundamentally built around the name recognition, the facial recognition, and the contingent biographical facts of the leadership. Jayton McKenzie in the one case, and in the other case, it is Herman Mashaba. I think Herman is an interesting South African, just like Ellen Ziller, and there's a lot to be said for what they've done right and interestingly in their, in their lives. 
both suffer a similar problem that in the latter part of their careers, I think they've made some really weird judgment calls about what issues to take up and what positions to hold. He looms larger than life in action essay, and you can't escape that. Without him, there's no action essay. Without Gaten, there's no patriotic alliance. The party doesn't yet have an identity independent of Herman, even though it's exciting that folks like yourself come in with your own brand recognition. So his convictions and his politics are really important because they cannot be divorced from the party itself. He doesn't believe in race-based affirmative action. He doesn't believe in color-coded policies of redress. And he's got some incredibly Afrophobic views on questions of migration. Surely you would agree with me at the level of description that there is a massive difference between the politics you articulated in the first 20 minutes of this conversation and who and what Herman Mashaba represents. There's an individual, then there's an institution. We must build institutions that outlive individuals and more so individuals at, uh, at their pensionable age. And we, we must start building these institutions to reflect the second layer of leadership that institutions can have a long lifespan when you start looking at the depth of the leader and, and the second layer of leadership and most of the policies of the institution. So, so, so I really think I, I can strengthen in that regard and add capacity there. And, and I can also add a voice which can persuade our leader, our president, to, to reflect on all of these challenges we're facing and to try and move towards a particular direction as espoused in, in our policies of social. Do you genuinely believe that? You and I know how stubborn he is, right? I'm very stubborn as well myself. So <laughs> which leader is not stubborn? So any leader who gets me in the ring of any sensible, serious conversation is a stubborn person. So, so I really am comfortable with, and the fact that I can really engage him honestly without these long stories, and, and, and I really appreciate that, that it's not very philosophical, philosophical for him uh, at, at times, but it's about genuine issues and, and being pragmatic in the resolution thereof. So, so it's a challenge that one is excited to. Hammond, is, 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 his brand is stronger than the party's brand. Even when he was in the DA, his brand was stronger at a particular point with the leader at that point. So it's things that we've got to live with and be able to, to assist in ensuring that the institution goes through a, a second layer of leadership, develops those leaders and really, they're ready to take over. And we demonstrate to South Africans that it's not just him and only, but there's a full Senate of these competent, able... I, I totally accept that, yeah. And I don't need you to rehearse how you would engage him, mm. but just nominally in, a, in an important way though, you, you, you do accept my characterization that, and it doesn't mean there's a, it's a deal breaker in your relationship, but you accept that there are deep differences between you and Herman on many issues, including the question of race, including the question of immigration policy, migration. We, we both agree on, on a number of things on, 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 on race. So on race-based policy, I think in our social justice, we are quite clear that we must redress the injustice of the past. And often people say, let's, we reject the ANC's B, and now we've got the opportunity to put our own alternative. It must be something to deal with that. So that's the space we're going into. Issue of, of, of uh, the issue of migration is something that we agree that uh, um, the country is not doing enough to maintain that. But equally, at a fundamental level, what are we doing to be part of the problem? Because if we sustain the type of, 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 of uh, 
uh, vocabulary we have, we're going to build a South Africa around hostile uh, African neighbors, which is not good for a long-term African solidarity and union perspective. So now we can have those sensible conversations and say, but first, before we can articulate the issue of that, how do we deal with the African question broadly, which opens up the scope for engagement with many South Africans to build some broad compact. And I think people like you would be best placed to be able to facilitate some of these harsh and real and honest conversations for us to reflect the reality of lived experiences with uh, many people by a form of policy articulation. Last question is a lived reality question. We often joke about the current moose in my money compared to the one inside the DA. But I think actually, I mean, talking about my role as an observer, I actually think beyond the way we joke about how fun and funny and and lit the current Musi is, there's a really interesting question there about the inherent constraints, and it's not unique to the DA, that come with, you know, a three-line whip, for example, and more broadly, not undermining an institution that you are a member of, political party or otherwise. But that freedom, once you are outside, is really interesting. We saw it initially with Lindywe. I loved Lindywe when she was overseas and started writing as a columnist. I think she's one of the best columnists we have in the country. Um, in Musi's case, there's an even sharper turn in terms of him performing just at a human level, his full self. It's almost like, oh, he's now exhaling. I've noticed in the last week that you've started becoming fun and lit yourself. The memes are all over the place. Is it is it a relief to be able to give greater expression to your individuality? To, to What does it feel like at the level of effect? And I mean, that is a, a genuine invitation to tell us about how that feels. So I don't want the theoretical mm-hmm. answer, but the honest answer at a human level. It, it, it feels amazing. It feels like a ton of bricks have been removed off your shoulders. You can sleep better. Uh, life becomes much more simpler. Um, you you realize how much the pressure was toxic, but even though it was quite addictive as well, uh, you 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 realize that you you are a person again. That you you can have sense of humor, and and that comes out of realizing you're not as important any longer. All of these things are gone, and now the real Bongani is there. But fortunately for me, I sustained these moments of humor throughout. Uh, but the, the burden of also leading an institution where you are leading it and as a public institution also limits how far you go with your humor. So for me, it was a real breath of, I mean, I really felt good. It felt like, uh, and the difficulty with that, I really had to look in the mirror and try and recognize myself because 90% of my life was the work. Now it's no longer there. Who is Bongani beyond this thing? Now what do I do again? How do I try and normalize and try to reintegrate myself back into societal normal. <laughs> so, <laughs> I wish you all the best. I think it is really difficult to be an active citizen in this country when you can be so easily maligned for being active. And of course, the paradox of our society is if you're not engaged, you also get maligned for taking a backseat. You've decided to remain active and I think that's absolutely wonderful. All the best with the rest of your political journey. And thanks for your willingness to spar on these very important issues. Thank you so much, Isiris. I appreciate it.